I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, my travel schedule was going to be quite, quite busy, and uh, of course, uh, next weekend is the men's retreat, and I'll be at the men's retreat there. But um, when, when I was uh, giving you my whole rundown on, on my September schedule and all, uh, you, you, you never count in the unexpected events. I had a cousin of mine that passed away last Sunday during the services here and spent some time with the family when I, when I heard and found out. And the services were this past Wednesday night and Thursday. So uh, I wasn't expecting not to be here on, uh, on Wednesday night. But I thank uh, Pastor Sean for filling in uh, as quickly as he did. And I, I know those who were, who were here were blessed. But um, I thank you all for your prayers, if you did know, and you did find out about that. And, uh, and um, I'm very grateful for, uh, for your prayers, always. With that said, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, I actually, you know, I had something prepared, and then all of a sudden, you know, it just kind of went away. So maybe that's a good thing. And if I think about it in the middle of the, of the message, I'll probably just blurt it out. So don't tie that into the message in, in, in any way, shape, or form. But, uh, oh, I do, I do remember one thing. Uh, I want to encourage you all to come to the night of worship uh, on uh, September 3rd. It's uh, uh, the Labor Day weekend. Uh, I think more and more as we see the day of Christ approaching, when I always say that phrase, it's a biblical phrase, by the way, we see the day of Christ approaching, uh, we see it now more than they did 2,000 years ago when it was written. So what, what, I, what I'm saying is that the more we see this happening, the more we need to praise God. The more we need to gather as believers, the more we need to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. Not to, you know, this, this, we're not doing concerts here. This is not about that. It's not about performance. It's not about looking at the flesh. It's about getting together. God has raised up, as, as we were praying for Amber today, God has raised up leaders in, in the church to lead worship. I, I'm thankful that that was what I did when I, you know, when, when the Lord began my walk and my calling and, and used those gifts. And I still am th so thankful and so grateful to be able to do it. But I don't, I don't want to be heard. I want, I want God to hear us. And we have a lot to say to him in praise and in thanksgiving and in gratitude. And, and, and when the opportunity arises, we should take it to praise God. And so I, I ask you to really pray about that sacrifice. And not, not, not as if some, you know, it's a, one of those sacrifices of saying, well, oh, gosh, I have, to, I have to do something. No, we get to do it. It's a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving unto God. So I urge you to come. It's, a, it's not a matter of measuring, you know, whether the youth ministry is sounding better than they did the last time or, or that, you know, why, why is the, you know, the regular worship team doing this and why is this and that, you know, why, you know. It's not about that. It's about Jesus, folks. And that's the passion that we need to have in our hearts. That every time we have an opportunity, we're going to gather together 
and we're going to pray, and we're going to we're going to wait upon the Lord. We're going, to, we're going to wait with expectancy that God wants to do something. Not just then, today too. Today too, where you're sitting. Expect great things from God always because our God is always a great God. So I just want to encourage you about that, okay? So look at what's happening in the world today. Every week something happens. Barcelona this week, Charlottesville last week. The craziness, the insanity of our world is telling us something. Jesus is coming soon. And we need to be ready. And I want to talk more about all of those things, you know, but I'd rather that the Lord would just come. It'd be great if he came during this service. We're already ready. We all bathed and we got ready, you know, for church. So we're ready to go home. Amen? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying it's, it's time to get ready. It's time to love Jesus more than you've ever loved him. So we'll talk about all that stuff, maybe even in our message today. Let's turn to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. And I think that the title, of course, coming from the scripture itself, coming from the words of Jesus himself, is really a great title for us today. Let not your heart be troubled. Father, we ask that you would bless our time in your word. Fill us with your spirit. Give us your wisdom and understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. More and more, this world is becoming less and less like home. As believers in and followers and disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we should be biblically aware that we are no longer of this world. It is quite a sad situation when people who profess to be Christian set their minds and affections on the things of this world rather than on the kingdom and reign of God and his Messiah. Time and again, the scriptures allude to the fact that we are no longer of this cosmos, this world, once we come to true faith in Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle made that very clear in a passage that he writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And I want to take a little time to explain something here before we move on. Paul said, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. In other words, take note of those who walk the same way. Mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. But then he says, and this is parenthetical, he says, for many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. The first thing that we would think is, well, the enemies of the cross of Christ certainly are those who are heathen, those who don't believe and don't trust in the Lord at all, so they're the world, the people in the world. May, may I tell you that the context here for, for Paul to say what he says in verse 18 is to say, Follow those who walk, 
by the example that we've given you because there are those who walk but I tell you now even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ and the implication here is that they're walking as Christians in name only but not walking according to the word of God and the will of God and folks I say that with great confidence in knowing that this is what the scripture is saying because why would he be weeping over the fact that hey the world is going to be enemies of the cross of Christ anyway it's those who profess Christianity that he says are walking in a way that are making them the enemies of the cross of Christ then he says this he says whose end is destruction in other words whose goal is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things which means they are setting their minds on the things of this world and not on the things of God and not on the things of heaven so this is a powerful statement that Paul is making then he goes on to say this for our conversation our citizenship as some translations say is in heaven the word conversation here is the is the Greek word politeuma politeuma has this word polite which is uh, which is a Greek word from which we get the words like politics and and politeness and they all actually come together in this thought that citizens are, are are considered to be those who behave themselves as citizens of a certain place or a certain land one thing that we are seeing very much in our own nation today is a lack of politeness in in fact a lack of uh, politeness in politics and we're calling ourselves citizens and yet we're destroying ourselves from within again I refer you to Charlottesville and other places like Boston yesterday but Paul is saying this our citizenship our conversation or conduct as citizens is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself one of these days I'm, I'm really hoping that I, I can talk about something that is happening in the world already it's been happening for a while but it's going to escalate in a great way and it's something that some people are calling a time of Christians versus Christians it's already happening true Christians versus nominal Christians or Christians in name only I think I referred to this not long ago as, as those who even Jesus said they're going to you know uh, come and kick you out of the synagogues and all but they're gonna they're gonna come and think that they're doing God a favor by by persecuting the true church of Jesus Christ and that's happening already but we that's for another time we could also consider the faith of Abraham as we're considering again remember we're considering the fact that we're not of this world consider Abraham when it is said of him early on in his own sojourn going through this world as God is leading him Hebrews 11 the hall of faith verses 8 through 10 it says by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went the word whither by the way means where 
he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. The, so, the word sojourn is connected to the word stranger or pilgrim, but it's always used together with those words. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, which are ten, uh, earthly tents, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't looking for a, a city that was made by, by man's hands. He was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If you jump down to verse 13, Paul relates all of those mentioned already up to this point, and he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. Keep that word prepared in mind. I want you also to consider, the, uh, consider well the words of Jesus when he says in John 8, 23 to the Jews and to the religious leaders of the Jewish people at that time. Uh, he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And folks, if he is our Lord and we are his servants, if we are his children, if we are his people, then obviously we are not of this world either. You got the idea? Okay, that's even made more clear in John 18, verse 36, where Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? I, I read that and I thought about all of this fighting going on in our own country today. Fighting taking place between peoples who in, in some cases are claiming that God is telling them to do all this hatred and, and to spew all this evil and wickedness. But that's trying to make his kingdom this world, and it's not. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the, to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from thence. And with those things in mind, reflect upon the things that Paul stated later in his letter to the Galatian churches. When he writes in Galatians 4 verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Interesting. The elements. The word there means the elementary principles or literally the elementary spirits of the world. That's what we, what we were in bondage to when, before we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And later on in that same letter, Paul says in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The world is crucified unto me. The world has been executed unto me. At the same time, I am executed unto the world. 
The world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. That's how separate we must be from this worldly attitude and desire for the earthly things. And you might be asking, why are we focusing so much on this issue of the world and not being a part of it? Don't forget that at the beginning of chapter 13 of John, even before the Passover supper began, Jesus was departing out of this world. And we are told that having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. The disciples and all of their followers and the followers of Jesus Christ down through the ages would remain in the world, sojourning in and through it as strangers and pilgrims, not to settle into it as if, if it were to be their final destination. This world is not our final destination. But in the end, there is indeed another home, a true home. And as I've mentioned previously, the scriptures in general were not written with chapter and verse. And so here in John's gospel, we are to connect the Lord's words to Peter at the end of chapter 13 to the very first verse of chapter 14. So let's read it this way. Go back over to verse 36 of John 13 so that we might get a sense of where we're going here. And in John 13, 36, it says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? Why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for, that, for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice, three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Let's stop and let me ask you this question. Is he answering Peter's question, where are you going? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So let me just say before we go on into our study of this passage that, that this whole next section of John, which is chapters 14 through 17, contains some of the deepest spiritual teachings of Jesus Christ. In a very short outline, the teachers, or I'm sorry, the teachings can be described this way. In chapter 14, Jesus will give consolation as an exhortation to faith. In chapter 15, he gives instruction as an appeal to love. In chapter 16, he deals with prediction, which is an incentive to hope. 
And in chapter 17, Jesus gives intercession in anticipation of glory. We'll all come back to those things later, so you don't have to worry about writing them down now. But as the Lord nears the end of his earthly ministry, as Jesus comes near now to the end of his earthly ministry, it seems that all he could speak of was his father. I want you to consider the many times that Jesus mentions his father in this chapter alone. In other words, as we're going through it, every time you see the word father, highlight it. Or when you read this passage this week, highlight it. From here on, even into chapters 15, 16, and 17. But in this chapter, for sure. Take note of them as you go through chapter 14. But here in our text, he mentions his father's house, where a perfectly prepared mansion awaits each of his sons and daughters. It might even bring to mind the opening words of J. Howard Payne's famous song and poem, Home Sweet Home. I'm sure you would recognize it. It begins, mid pleasures and palaces, though we may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Folks, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. As believers are passing through this world as strangers, sojourners, and pilgrims, as much as we might like a lot of stuff in this world, this world is filled with elusive wishes and deceptive dreams. It is filled with frightening and overwhelming experiences. It is filled with disappointing and painful realities in spite of our best hopes. The further that we travel down this earthly road and see what is happening locally as well as globally, the more our hearts are telling us that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. As I said in our previous study, Jesus was speaking directly to Peter, but he was also speaking to the disciples as well, proven by Thomas's response in verse 5, and of course we'll get that next, to that next time. And yet Jesus was also speaking to the readers of the gospel, to you and to me. And we might first need to ask this question, so why would their hearts be troubled for him to say, let not your heart be troubled? Why would their hearts be troubled? Think about three things that might be troubling them at that hour. Three things. Number one, Jesus was going to leave them. He made that clear. Jesus is going to leave them. Number two, Judas was going to betray him. Number three, Peter was going to deny him. I say that's a pretty good foundation for having a troubled heart. So there were fears of death, of betrayal and denial, very much like today. And I speak of the fears that people have today in a very unstable and wicked world. 
The fears that we deal with in our day and time are very much like, like hurricanes that sweep over what was at one point a, a serene harbor. Our little boats of faith anchored in the shallows would be easily dashed against the rocks by the fury of those fears. But, but Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Our heart here, by the way, is not the physical organ of life, but the seat of our spiritual life. The focal point and the center of our faith, our trust and dependency in our Lord and in our God. The place where our now alive spirit is, that's our heart. Because remember, we were once dead spiritually, but now we've been made alive by Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. To get, to get a good grip, let's, let's, let's work on troubled first. To get a good grip on the word troubled, consider that it means to be agitated, anxious, worried, bothered, disturbed, uneasy, apprehensive, fearful, <sighs> perturbed, bothered, distressed, disquieted, fretful, <sighs> nervous, edgy, antsy, tense, overwrought, worked up, keyed up, jumpy, and or worried sick. <laughs> Do you think we, we about covered that definition of troubled? Now we're going to go back and talk about each one. No, I'm just kidding. Then you'd really be troubled. Oh, and by the way, Jesus said, in effect, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. There is an implication here of our responsibility for our hearts. I mean, the Lord has certainly done his part in providing us the way to salvation. Now it's up to us to believe. Listen to what he says to Peter, to the disciples, and to us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When we don't trust him, what happens to us? When we're not trusting God and our anxieties raise up because we're trusting in man, we're trusting in circumstances, we're trusting in all kinds of things, but not in the Lord, what happens to us? We get anxious, our hearts become troubled, and they become stirred. It's a good time to hear the Lord's words again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. When we begin to go down that road, I want you to remember the words of Proverbs chapter 3. Now, usually we go straight to verses 5 and 6, but I want to start in verse 1. Proverbs 3 verse 1, because Solomon says to his son, My son, forget not my law. That's a good place to start. Don't forget the word of God. Because guess what? We have it with us all the time. Well, I hope we do. And I hope that every day more and more of it is going where? In our hearts and in our minds. And lived out in our lives. My son, forget not my law. Let thine heart 
keep my commandments. Where is the word of God going when you come to church? Is it going into your mind? I hope it's going into your mind because, you know, we have our ears open, our eyes open. But, you know, we don't want it to go out, go in one ear and out the other. We want it to get into our mind, but then we want it to come down into our hearts. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. In other words, God's word is a blessing to us. Then he says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about your neck. Write them upon the tablet of or the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Then he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. You find yourself in that place of, of anxiety and worry and trouble. Turn quickly to the word of God and then trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, whatever you do, acknowledge him. We either acknowledge him by our lives or we shut him out. Or forsaken. There's a beautiful verse in the book of Isaiah that fits appropriately in this context, and that's Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. The prayer is, Lord, you will keep a person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or steadfast on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So what a blessing it is to know that we will be in perfect peace no matter the, what the storms are that we are facing, no matter what the storms are that are surrounding us, whether just personally or actually uh, generally speaking as we see the day of Christ approaching and see all this chaos in this world. We are in perfect peace because our mindset is spiritual and not earthly or worldly. The disciples had trusted the Lord Jesus to, to put them in the boat of salvation. Now they were to trust him to bring them through the storm and safely to harbor. Remember, he loved them. He loved his own which were in the world. He was going to leave them in the world for a time. What were they going to do? They were going to need to trust him. Trust him to bring them through the storm and safely to harbor. And what would they be waiting? Or what, I should say, what, what would be waiting for them at the harbor? What would be waiting? Look at verse 2 now of our text in John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. So what would be waiting for them is a house, a place to dwell a place to abide. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. That is telling us something. That's telling us that, listen, I'm not just throwing out promises. I'm telling you this is what you're going to find at the end of the storm when you arrive safely to harbor in my father's house or many mansions and dwelling places. If they weren't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Isn't it wonderful to know that a carpenter is going to go and build our house? But now there are two views that we need to look at of, of, this, of this passage. Both are valid, uh, valid views and both are biblical views. First, the word Jesus used for mansions is the Greek word mone, M-O-N-E, mone, which means an abode, an abiding place, or a dwelling. In other words, it is a real place. Heaven is a real place. The picture being heaven as a loving home where the Father dwells. The word itself speaks of the permanency of our heavenly home. If it's the Father's and He's eternal, guess what? So is the house. No more wandering. Hey, you get home to be with the Lord. No more wandering. No more sojourning. No, no more dangers. No more fears. Someone once wrote a thought in, a, in the form of a question. I think it's a beautiful question. And, and it's this. Who could mind the journey when the road leads home? Who could mind the journey when the road leads home? So where's home for you? Where is home for you? If it isn't in the Father's house. Jesus wanted to make it clear that heaven is a real place and not just a state of mind. Sorry, Billy Joel. He sings a song called The New York State of Mind. Well, heaven is not a state of mind. It's a real place. And Jesus was answering Peter's question, Lord, whither goest thou? Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus was going before his people, going before his church, going before his bride as a forerunner, if you will. A forerunner going before us. Now, this is an important thought. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19, 19 and 20. And as you're turning there, let me give you a, a, a little hint, a little picture. And I've said this before, so m most of you know this. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, where does he begin? He begins at the cross, doesn't he? Okay, so with that in mind, think of what it says here in Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. Speaking of Jesus, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, with the forerunner, or where the forerunner, and by the, word, by the way, the word forerunner is the word in the Greek, 
prodromos, P-R-O-D-R-O-M-O-S, prodromos. Where the forerunner, the prodromos, is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, as I said, beginning at the cross. And certainly we know that it was from the foundation of the world. But beginning at the cross, Jesus prepares the way for us to his heavenly home. The word forerunner, as I said, prodromos, brings to mind a fact that deals with the harbor of Alexandria of that time, as recorded in historical records. The harbor of Alexandria was a very difficult harbor to approach. When the large grain ships would come near, they would send out a little pilot boat to guide them in. It went before them and they followed it as it led them along the channel to safe waters. The pilot boat was called the Prodromos, the forerunner, to make the way safe. But the word is always also used in, 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 in terms of, uh, uh, of, of the work of the Roman army as well. The reconnaissance troops for the Roman army were called the prodromoi, since they went ahead of the main body of the army to blaze the trail and ensure that it was safe for the troops to follow. Jesus is our prodromos. He has made it safe to follow. He has blazed the way to heaven and to God the Father that we might follow in his steps. And while we are still here on this earth, we follow Jesus because he has made it safe for us. Will we encounter trials and tribulations? Will we encounter persecutions? Yes, and Jesus himself said that we would. In this world, he said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Well, he's overcome the world as our forerunner, as our prodromos. I mentioned a second view. First view, of course, being that Jesus is talking about a heavenly home, which is true. But there's a second view that Jesus is not only preparing for us a mansion or an abiding place in heaven, but he's also preparing for us a new body in which to dwell in heaven with the Lord. Take note of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if, I'm sorry, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, the earthly house is our body, tabernacle being a temporary dwelling place. If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that has wrought us or made us as for the selfsame thing is God, who also has given unto us the earnest or the guarantee of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be present, I'm sorry, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So here we have two, two views, but in, in fact, they're both true. And they, and they both fit. They, 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 you know, it's not one over the other. It's, it's really both when you think about it. But primarily, we are, we are going to be in the Father's house, generally speaking. And each one of us individually will receive a new body, which is our new house. So, in fact, instead of just getting one house, we get two, which is pretty cool. Now, in our next study, I want to concentrate on Jesus' statement. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Focusing our attention on the connection to the rapture of the church and the times in which we're living today and why we should be expecting that at any moment. But uh, with that in mind, let me, let me assure you that we can be confident in the promise of Jesus for our, our home in heaven. Because certainly the disciples were troubled and, and to be honest, we're troubled to some extent when we see what's happening in our world today. But again, I, I refer you to something that we'll, we'll read and study later, but Jesus did say, in this world you will have tribulation. He didn't say you, you might. He says you will. But be of good cheer. How can we be of good cheer unless we know that the promises of Jesus Christ are true? He says to Peter, Peter, let not your heart be troubled. Disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Church, let not your heart be troubled. Whatever age, whatever generation we are in, those words ring true because they're eternal. We can trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I want to leave you with a, with a statement that's going to lead us into the next study. It's by a preacher named Alexander McLaren, followed, uh, followed by a, a scripture that I'm going to give you. Now, McLaren wrote this. He said, the primitive church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than about death or about heaven. The early Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called a grave, but for a cleavage in the sky called glory. They were watching not for the undertaker, but for the upper taker. Isn't that a great statement? They were watching not for the undertaker, but for the upper taker. They were looking for Jesus to come.
And, and I say to all of those who, who, who don't like prophecy, they don't want to hear about it because they've been lied to that all prophecy has been fulfilled. That uh, God doesn't, uh, have no, has no longer any blessings for Israel, but that now the blessings are all for the church. This is lies, lies, lies upon lies because the word of God still rings true. There is an Israel today. God is going to finish dealing with them and he's going to bless them. And as Paul said in Romans chapters 9 through 11, eventually he says, all Israel shall be saved. They will be restored and they're being restored today. So all of these things are going to happen. And I say to those who are, are being deceived and confused, come to Jesus who said, I'm coming again. I go to prepare a place for you. This, this, is, this is not just hopeful thinking. This is reality. And we know it because he went to the cross to blaze a trail for us. So I urge you to turn to Luke chapter 21. And we'll finish with verses 25 through 28. Now, normally I'll quote verse 28 to you, but I want to read from verse 25 because I want you to see how close we are to the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Now, most of you should know, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in the world, that tomorrow there is a solar eclipse scheduled to happen. And a lot of prophecy watchers and people that are very interested are concerned between what's going to happen tomorrow and what, what is supposed to, supposedly will happen in, in, in September, uh, I think the 23rd, which is uh, the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Well, for whatever, you know, that's worth. The important thing is that we need to pay attention because that is a sign in the sun. But notice the next phrase, and upon the earth, distress of nations. Now, I don't know about you, but I think every nation today is distressed about what's going on in the world. Whether it be because of ISIS and, and Islam and, and, and Al-Qaeda and all kinds of other things, or just all kinds of terrorism from all sorts, in all places, at all times. With perplexity, it says. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm perplexed by seeing what's happened in our own country today. I saw a map today. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can because I'm still on time. But I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. I saw a map as they were showing, you know, the path of the, of the eclipse from Oregon. Well, I'll, I'll go this way. Oregon down through, right down the middle of this country, through Florida, and I said, Lord, is that a sign about our nation being divided that way? We are a nation divided today, aren't we? I wondered about that. I'm not saying that that's what that path means, but I'm just saying that it, it brought to mind what a, what a horrible, uncivil war we have in our country today over such petty things, yet they're not petty anymore. Again, I could go on and on, but listen, 
By the way, come on Wednesday nights when I'm, when I'm doing, you know, the study on Ezekiel, because that's what we've been talking about, American prophecy. Do we, have any, do we have any power in it? Here's a nation divided. Well, what a sign. I saw that. I just, oh, my goodness. Maybe, maybe it, does, it has nothing to do with it, but it. It, it certainly was, was cause to pause and wait on the Lord. He goes on and says, The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now some of you might say, why does he say look up and then lift up your heads? Shouldn't we lift up our heads and then look up? That seems more proper. Now Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. We need to look up and we need to lift our heads in confidence in our God. Not letting our heart be troubled, but believing in him. Look up, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. It's coming. Now that's something to rejoice in the Lord about. Your redemption draws near. Let's pray.